We've been instilled with tactics and training for battling enemies overseas, but we are not taught how to battle the ones within. When the combat zone becomes your comfort zone, what becomes of the home front? I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Together, we're tackling tough topics to conquer whatever challenge you're facing, from your soft unit to your family unit, with our amazing lineup of guests, including special operators, field experts, and so much more. This isn't your typical cool guy podcast. Welcome to All Secure. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Marcus and Amber Compone. When Marcus was medically retired after 13 years and multiple combat deployments as a U.S. Navy SEAL, he and his wife, Amber, thought that life would return to normal. Instead, their struggle had just begun. Marcus was experiencing an escalating myriad of challenges, including depression, isolation, cognitive impairment, excessive alcohol use, headaches, insomnia, impulsivity. Whew, sound familiar? It does sound familiar. Marcus was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress injury, But instinctively, Amber felt there was more to be discovered. After learning about the effects of blast waves, concussive and subconcussive brain injuries, everything started to become clear. Marcus's military career as an explosives expert, combined with his prior years of contact sports, had left him with the seemingly invisible wounds of traumatic brain injury, a condition that has significant overlap with PTSI and is often not properly diagnosed. They co-founded Veterans Exploring Treatment Solution, known as VETS, with a mission to end veteran suicide for good. They provide resources, research, and advocacy for U.S. military veterans seeking treatment with psychedelic-assisted therapy. I know all about this, so join us as they discuss their journey and a better path to follow. Let's dive right in. Let's go. So today we're talking with Marcus and Amber Capone, and we want to welcome you for coming on our podcast and kind of start this out with, um, you started out, what, Navy SEAL, correct? I did. Well, first, you know, thanks for having us. You two, yeah. uh, you guys are doing just in the space is just amazing. And so thank you. But yes, I served uh, 13 years uh, on active duty. I enlisted prior to 9-11, um, graduated uh, from Southern Illinois, and then went in and enlisted. And really the um, 9-11 happened uh, when I was in third phase of, uh, of BUDS. Whoa. Wow. What'd that do to your That's heart? A change. <laughs> <laughs> that changes all the instructors. You're going to war now, boys, right? It's one of those. <laughs> you're, you're 100% exactly right. Because what we didn't know anything. I mean, we were students just trying to like get through training. And we were actually, we were at two hours east of San Diego training in the mountains. We were doing PT. And the instructors came out. And we thought we were done. We had a few weeks left. And they said that uh, somebody flew an airplane into the World Trade Center. And we literally looked at each other. We laughed. We put our head down and we said, why are they still messing with us? Like, we're done with training. Like, just let us graduate. But we, we really thought it was a joke and we thought they were they were fooling. But they allowed us to file in to the, um, the quarters they had there. And we got to watch it on you know TV for about 30 seconds. And then we went right back and we we're back in the push-up position. So <laughs> Yeah, that's enough. Let's start messing with you more. <laughs> was, you're so right, Tom. Their, their, their demeanor from... Before to after, you can see the the instructors that had been in for 10, 15 years, they, they said they're like, hey, we're, we're going to war. And we're like, okay, what's that? You know, we're, so I just want to do push-ups and like get in shape and like get on with this thing. So um, yeah, it was a different, different demeanor. That's when life changes right there. Everything gets real, really quick. So let's talk about what you're doing now from there to now. And then we'll maybe go back and get in between and why. So a month later, we graduated did advanced training, rescue T, SEAL qualification training. And I was assigned to SEAL Team 10 on the East Coast. They had just formed a new team, SEAL Team 10, and then SEAL Team 7 on the West Coast just because of the demand. I was overseas in less than two years. And I was over at Naval Special Warfare Development Group uh, in about three and a half years. After that, uh, it was very busy, as as you know. You know, to get to where we're at today, Seven combat tours. I was put on my first antidepressant in 2010 while still on active duty. And if you fast forward seven years, I was on a host of, of prescription medication pretty much straight. And really, where I found healing was plant medicines through psychedelic medicine at a vetted retreat outside the US. And Amber and I both, um, she flew in to meet me. I thought the healing was so profound after going through seven years of what I considered hell. 
this was almost instantaneously, you know, in a weekend. And the first thing I said to her was like, we just have to pay this forward to our guys that are coming back. Because I had friends, of course, that were in like you 20 and 30 years, and we knew what was coming. And I just thought we had to share. And I turned to the doctor and I said, hey, there must have been thousands of guys that have been through this before me. He said, no, you're like the first few. And I, I got a little angry and I just said, why doesn't more people know about these things? And so that's kind of the start of you know where we're at today. What year yeah. was that you guys went on the first journey? 2017. And Marcus was medically retired from the teams in 2013. And so I think that you know, you just adapt. You guys know all about that. You just adapt. Like, oh, suddenly he's a seal. Oh, suddenly, you know, it's 9-11. Suddenly there's war. Suddenly there's all, you know, changes that are happening, but he's gone more. And so you're just constantly adapting. And then at one point, just to take a little bit of a break, we moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And that's when the wheels sort of started to come off. And so then you think, well, you know, what other change can we put into place here? It's either go back to the dysfunction that we know how to exist in or completely get out. And our community was impacted back to back by the killing of Bin Laden, which was like this elated, oh, let's go back into the dysfunction. You know, it's, it's, you know, what we know. And then just a few months later, extortion, the helicopter crash where so, so many of Marcus's friends and teammates were killed. And then it was just this real shift back to reality that, you know, going back to the dysfunction would also be going back to that feeling of Russian roulette where you just never know what's around the next corner. And so we decided to get out and that was like the biggest point of it adaptation that we had faced to date. And I think that we were naive in thinking we would somehow just fit in to society again. And these things that were presenting themselves little by little over time, really, we found ourselves in the perfect storm once we were transitioned out of the military. Now, luckily, Marcus was medically retired. So we still had you know, the pension and we still had health care. I can't imagine it completely getting out with none of that. So all of this the lag of, you know, the, whatever the trauma was, whatever, you know, we had been going through sort of catches up on the other side. And then you have this whole new set of problems. Like, you know, you don't have your, your friends, your community, your family, your teammates, your identity, your purpose, your belonging, your, you know. Yeah. I was working in downtown Beverly Hills. Like when I got out, it was. (laughs) Wow. Really started to come out. I, don't even know I, like, to that. I hope there's stories here. Are there some some That's, good stories? If about... you think of the change upon change upon change stacked up on top of both of you to with yes. removal from your tribe, and then boom, here you go into another tribe that's uniquely different. Wow, that's uh, you had to be gumby. I was asked that. Yeah, I was asked that question regularly. Like, what are you doing here? Was there a tipping point that got you to the place where you were willing to try medicine, or did somebody encourage it? How did you? get to plant medicine is even an option. I started going to brain clinics because all these these, um, prescription medicines that I was taking, and I I never took opioids. I I didn't have surgeries or anything. You know, luckily, like many other friends, I think we've had. But for me, it was more mood stabilizers and just trying to equal me out um, because I was having such such massive mood swings for, you know, days or weeks on end. And there were days where I couldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't, um, I stopped you know, answering messages and talking to friends. And again, this is like the same story you always hear. And I'm sure we've both and many of others experienced. I was just getting frustrated. So the, the brain clinics were a chance to figure out, okay, maybe there is something wrong, you know, inside physiologically, not just with, you know, psychological trauma, because like, I didn't even really think I knew what trauma was to me. You know, I laughed at it. I think we really enjoyed what we we loved doing what we did and and um you know i think we were very good at compartmentalizing things so maybe you know a lot of the individuals and friends that we lost or some of the stuff that we did or saw we were able to compartmentalize very well and maybe it did start to surface by itself but we figured amber thought man there's just something going on like he's just like he's not thinking clearly he's not able to make decisions rationally his moods are out of control and so maybe brain clinics could help. And and I went to five total. Uh, one in particular, I thought did a really good job of mapping my brain and showing that there were there were multiple mild you know traumatic brain injuries in areas that weren't functioning properly. And that was 
a bit of a relief to know that there was something there. But again, it wasn't like they were saying, here's the answer and here's the toolkit to go fix that. So that was even more frustrating. And so it just came to the point where we were, you know, we didn't get along. We weren't friends. I didn't even know who my kids were. Again, you know, I wasn't getting along with people at work. I wasn't getting along with anyone in the neighborhood. I choked out the bartender at our country club. And <laughs> he probably. Um, I think I mounted him in the in the middle of the of the country club, like on the carpet in front of like everybody. Has um, and I before I just, normal Tom. I was like, oh, this is this is the boys. Let's Right, this is what we do. Right, and everybody's like going, "Wait, what are you doing? We've never seen this before." And you're like, "What? You haven't? This is the first? All right, I'm number one. Yeah." Plus, I'm in Texas. Like, this is what we do in Texas, but evidently, no, it's not what we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, psychedelic medicine to me was like, "Yeah, sure, like anything to help." I, I was just tired, and we were, you know, we were done. You know, our daughter Maggie turned to Amber and just said, "Like, how much more can we take of Dad acting like this?" and it was just, you know, it took me a year though to commit because I grew up, you know, in New York, going to all boys Catholic school. You know, I never did a drug. To me, drugs were bad and and those people were weird. And I I just was uncomfortable. You know, this was not normal conversation. So Yeah, things were definitely spiraling and increasing in intensity over time. And there were definitely a few points along the way that I was like, okay, this isn't sustainable. And I didn't really know what it looked like. I just know that we weren't going to last like this. Either I was going to leave and take the kids and, you know, he, he, he really needed that stability of his family. Removing that terrified me. I could see him becoming more and more disconnected and isolated and despondent. That concerned me. It was just escalating to a point where I knew that we needed a change. And some point, I believe it was 2016. One of Marcus's former teammates had taken his life and his wife had his brain autopsied and they discovered this pattern of um, blast injury. It was the first time that I'd ever heard about that. And that's when I started getting Marcus into the brain clinics because until that point, you know, you think like PTSD, like I don't, I don't know, you know, enough about the diagnosis to say like he either does or doesn't have it, but it never resonated with me that he had PTSD because he loved his job and he loved to deploy and he loved his teammates and he was like made for this. And so I never bought into that diagnosis, but whenever I saw the news about this brain autopsy, I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I started doing my research and getting them into brain clinics and they were great. Like you mentioned with diagnostics, but not necessarily long-term solutions or you know, really any solution and no follow-up. So we were, I, I had all my hope and okay, it's a brain thing. We'll go to brain clinics and we're in America. You know, this is like the, the medical Mecca of the world and more dead ends, more dead ends. And as he was meeting each new dead end, he was becoming more and more hopeless. Well, I had a guy at treatment, one of the centers who's a former meth addict and I mean, he goes, Hey, if we just dial this up a little bit, he's like, it usually, it usually gets a little better. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, is, is this, is this what we're paying $30,000 for? I mean, it was, in, it was insane to me. Anyway, I just, yeah. So I knew that we were going to have to, there was going to be a jumping off point. And I really didn't think that anything was going to help at that point. But one of our friends had been to Mexico and done Ibogaine 5-MeO-DMT combo. And he and his wife had shared with me about it. And it sounded crazy to me. I didn't understand it. Felt much more comfortable with the Western system. I mentioned it to Marcus because we trusted this individual. And he was like, that's nuts. And so it was shelved during this year long plus period where he was going to these other brain clinics and he was running out of funding and I was running out of hope and I felt like he was running out of time. And so I circled back on that and I basically just approached him in a way that I had never approached him before because I was carrying my own trauma and, I, and my own anger and resentment and just all of the things from all the years. And instead of guilting, shaming, criticizing, condemning, I approached him in complete love and just this commitment to walking this new path with him. And I was just as scared, but I would never leave him. And he agreed to, to give it a try. I did no research because I just trusted our friends. 
he started to do some research and realized that, okay, these, you know, it does sound crazy, but there was something here in the fifties and sixties. And there's been an underground that has been thriving in the decades since. I feel like we, neither one of us thought that it would really work, but we also felt like we didn't have anything left to lose and we were committed to fighting. You know, so often we hear that the spouse is the one who kind of comes forward and says, we're all at our wits ends here. You know, you you even mentioned that your daughter said, how much longer is this kind of behavior going to exist in the home? So often the family members are the ones coming forward saying, you know, we want dad to have a better life. We want him to be happy. Was there a, a moment for you where you're like, this is a red flag that we've got to do something now, or it's just cumulative over the years where you saw him in a place that you felt like you could get him back to good? Did you feel like plant medicine? I mean, it sounds like it was like, hey, let's just try it and let's see what happens. But there was a point where you were going through all these different kinds of treatments. You're losing hope. You're losing steam. You see him when he, I, I'm assuming, did you get off the plane or you you went to meet him? How did this first kind of encounter after the medicine? Because I've heard some stories about how that's really cool and how spouses can pick up on it immediately. Was it like that for you guys or... I was so nervous to drop him off to go because it really felt like our last hope. Mm. Um, And I was really nervous to see him. And I started to get all sorts of like doubts and fears as I was approaching where he was to the point where I didn't want to go in. And the same friend, you know, the husband wife combo, the husband was with him and the wife was with me driving me there. And I said, I can't go. I can't go in there. I don't want to do this. I don't know what we've done. This is crazy to me. I'm so scared to see him. And she said, we told him you're coming. He's been asking for you. You have to go. And so I, you know, just, I had said, I won't leave your side. And so I did, I went and I heard him coming down the hall and it was just like, you know, this is a moment of truth. And when I saw him, his demeanor was completely different because we'd known each other since I was 17. We've been together for um, telling my age here, it'll be 26 years this year that we've been together. And uh, at the time, you know, like about 20 and he was exactly the way that I remembered him when I met him and he had become someone completely different. Like that, like you saw when you saw him, he turns the corner. And you're like, that's the Marcus before trauma. It was like, oh, like this giant relief. And I didn't know what the coming days or months or years would hold at that point. You know, there was no indication that anything would work. There was no indication that we would help even one of our friends. It was just about him and me in that moment. And there was just this overwhelming glimmer of hope that he was back, that he was still accessible, even if we had a bad day or a bad week, because so many weeks had been bad leading into this. And, you know, in the days following, I certainly caught myself like not wanting to get too hopeful, Mm -hmm. but I would feel my guard to start to come down. And then I would be like, oh, get that back up again, because it's not going to last. And so, you know, it's common, I think, for spouses to fight through that and, you know, deal with their own trauma as part of this process. But I held on to the hope that I, he was back and it would only increase over time. And that has been absolutely true. What was it about him that was different in that moment? His demeanor, his energy, the look, the torment in his head was gone. Wow. I think energy covers so much of it. There's so many telling stories in what you just spoke about. Number one, it's not good to hear that the SEAL community suffers just like the Army community. I mean, literally, it's like you're spewing my story, thousands of other stories, and spouses' stories are the so. Same I want to say the same, but mm-hmm. you can't say the same. They're so similar that anybody listening hopefully picks up on the fact that, oh, hey, that's me. I'm sitting in that chair and that's me talking and that's my wife sitting next to him saying the same thing because if they, I've heard it so, I've heard it so many times. It's, it's to the point of, of ridiculousness of man, just listen, listen to the stories out there and just pause and listen and then get to work. 
And then the, then the eggshell syndrome or the secondary post-traumatic stress of you and the hope of, oh, when's it, when's the, when's that shoe going to drop, man? Just waiting on that next freak out, that next rage session out of nowhere. Yeah. And with you, Mark, it's waiting on that. When am I going to say something so stupid again? I have to say I'm sorry for a month, you know, or I'm going to rage. And then 30 seconds later, I'm like, oh, sorry. You know, and the spouse is like uh, 24 hours. You know, it's going to take me 24 hours, brother. You know, me, I'm fine. Five minutes later, I'm like, sorry, that was really screwed up, huh? And she's like, yeah, yeah, really screwed up. I'm like, all right, yeah, we're gonna right, need a minute. I'll leave you alone for a second. I'm fine, but I'll leave you alone for a second, you know, because I mean, we're designed to get big, dominant, win, and then, all right, what's next, you know? And we're trying to fit that into this puzzle of life and, and it doesn't work. So all of those warriors out there or previous warriors, listen up, guys. You can't commando your way through the home life. It doesn't work. Nobody wants it, you know? You got to adapt, assimilate, as they would say. Yeah. Marcus, what? When you got off and you saw the plane and you saw your beautiful wife and you were asking for her, you were excited to see her. So you knew you were excited to see her because you felt different and or I mean, she's beautiful. I'd love to see her, too. But was there something specific where you were like, I can't wait to share this with her? I just felt like I felt like I struggled for a while and it was just very heavy, the burden on my shoulders. And, you know, sometimes. And I, I don't laugh, but I get, um, you know, what you said earlier, Tom, like I kind of felt like that person that, man, I, I only did 13 years. Like, who the fuck am I? Like, I got friends that have done 20, 25 combat deployments that like are really going to need a hug <laughs> when they come out. Like, they need some serious help, right? Like, and I don't mean a hug in a way, like a hug, but I mean like, hey, we got you. Like, they we'll figure this out. Yeah, they need that and hug. <laughs> yeah, so I struggle with that, but you know, I just felt like you know, twelve hours of just constant um, <laughs> puking and really like demonic visions. I mean, I had really tough, violent twelve hours, both with visions, uh, history, and and just puking. Like, I mean, it was it was it was nonstop, and it was really tough. So the next day, they call Gray Day. I wasn't up great day. I slept. And so I woke up the following day, which was a Sunday morning, and finally got up. And it just felt like the world, just like the, the all that weight had, was just gone. It was gone. And I'm like, wow, all the struggles, all the whatever it was, no matter how small or big, it was just over. And I felt like I was ready to feel again, love again, to just, you know, I couldn't wait to live again. And so all I wanted to do is like see Amber and share that with her. And that's what was exciting for me. And, you know, the other part of it is I felt like we solved a problem. I felt like I had so many friends who were doing the exact same things. They were taking the antidepressants. They were doing the exact same thing. They were going to the exact same brain clinics and they weren't getting any better. So I felt, is this is what can help? Like, this is real. Like, we can help our friends and families come back, you know, to where they were before. And so to me, that was like exciting too. I was just like, I just wanted to, like I said, pay it forward because I knew, I mean, that's just what we do. You know, we don't want to, we don't hold stuff to ourselves. Have so. you ever paused for a one moment, both of you and thought about how many lives you've saved now versus how many lives you could have saved while still in? Because our numbers are, you know, in the 20 years of war, 5,000, whatever, 683 deaths. And the same time we've had what, over 48, 50,000. Well, yeah, you guys know deaths that by suicide. Whatever they are now, it's it's outrageous, right? So have you paused to think, man, what I'm doing now is probably more lives and families than I could have ever done before. Yeah. I think Amber does a better job at that. I still I, I still got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. She's like, Aren't you happy about this? I'm like, eh, yeah, sure. She's like, No, really happy. I'm like, Yeah, 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 I'm happy. Yeah. It's like, give give me a break, jump up and down or something. I'm like, okay. Happy, <laughs> you know, I'm done. That's it's, it's I don't find that joy. I, I found it when I did 5MEO. I found it like you were describing, you know, I wasn't late. I'm not in a trouble about something. And I actually found joy. I remember laying there crying and laughing. I'd never felt so good in my life. I was like, what is this? What is this thing that I feel? And I remembered back to when I met Jen, she was that way. And, and it was, I'm like, what do you want from me? You're so nice. You want something because people that are that nice want something. So I was very, you were very suspicious of very suspicious about intentions of kindness. And then when I woke up, yeah, it's like holy shit, I've never been this happy in my life, man. I I have a smile like this. I'm I'm 
through and through happy. I don't know how, why people wouldn't want that. And it's not, you know, we, we should make this clear. It's not because you were high or I was high. Yeah, I was well past being high. <laughs> I, I think the first thing I said when I woke up was like, tell me, nobody does this recreationally. Tell me. There's not a soul that it's does not this a for rave fun, drug. man. This is not those yeah. fun drugs. I'm scared to death of these drugs. They, they are so powerful and so life-changing. And they could, they could, I mean, they could punch you right in the face really, really hard. And so I'm, you know, some people are a little bit more, they say, fair about them. But I, I approach them with, you know, I, I'm, I'm scared of them because I know what they can do. You respect them. And so like you... You know, my 5-MEO journey, um, you know, I had to do it several times. My last time was unimaginable. Like, you can't explain it to people how I will view the world for the rest of my life and just be a little bit more aware and really see people and things for what they are. When, you know, for many of our lives, we were like, you know, like this. And many people are just like this with their blinders are looking with one of them and just kind of opening up the aperture and really seeing what life is all about and what this person is all about. I had no idea how talented she was like of everything. I just thought she was the, the teenage girl I met in college that I dated literally. And I have goosebumps. So you saw her maybe for the first time, really as she truly the essence of her is. So that had to be huge for you to have your husband say, oh my gosh, I see you in a totally different light. Or was it, did it catch you off guard? I think that for me, it was more like allowing myself to believe it, to appreciate it and to be comfortable in it. Yeah. I mean, our relationship now is so different, even though we were together for two decades you know, before it really started to make a turn and we loved each other, but the level of love and appreciation and respect that we have for one another, like he's fighting so hard for not just himself, but like our whole family, his legacy, our lineage, our children and their children and their children. And it's just such a blessing. And to circle back on what Tom said, you know, have you ever really stopped to think about it? I did just last week. We're launching a big suicide awareness campaign. And I just thought like, I almost lost Marcus to suicide. I know I did. I know I did. And, you know, I thought, look at all the lives that we've touched through vets, but really it's God, you know, God is, it's allowing ourselves to be used as a vessel for something so much greater than us. So I don't want to take any credit But what I will say is that one life, and this goes for anyone who might be listening, one life can have a ripple out effect on touching so many others. And for anyone contemplating suicide, I really hope that they would look, you know, at someone like Tom, like Marcus, who's been at the depths of despair and how they're actually living today and not only living but impacting so many other lives and generations to come. Beautifully put. Hey everyone, if you like what you're hearing, please like, comment, and share. And if you'd like to support our amazing warriors and their families, please donate at allsecurefoundation.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have you found something that works for you both? Uh, Marcus, you're talking about looking through the toilet paper holders, those the uneducated, those who don't realize they haven't been taught everything yet. And, you know, that is to know. And those that would shame you or put you down because of what you do based on what they know in life. You know, there's a lot of people that are shut down and closed off like that. And sadly, some of them are my friends, too, that I am, you know, I'm a commando and I'll always be a commando. And it's the way it always will be. And, you know, and I drink because I'm supposed to drink. And all right, those are good excuses. But. Have you found a way, the special way? I'm always looking for that special way to reach people. Um, everyone's always asking, how do you get a hold of somebody? How do you reach somebody? And I'm always just like, listen, listen to them, you know. But how is it you can turn people on that journey? That's a scary step. It's scary for us. It took us and like a year. And do you try to some. turn them on to plant medicine? Yeah, we were careful not to, just due to. They're like, might, you might not like it. You'll hate it. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll hate me if I send you, and it's horrible. So we just share the information, you know, and what it did to us. 
But have you found that thing that helps people realize there's more? I would say that just sharing and being vulnerable has been what has worked consistently in getting people to either stop and listen or to say, I, that resonates with me. I feel the same. I personally feel like the truest form of strength is vulnerability. It's, it's taking away that whole shell of what you want the world to perceive you as and just speaking truth and truth and love and vulnerability, I would say are my or our secret weapons in reaching people. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does sound, cause we talk about this, all of us here on this call, this is our new normal and probably some of our, our old commando buddies would listen and go, and they're crazy. Happened to those I, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Happened to them. They used to be warriors. They used, uh, to, be, they used to be cool. Now they smile. <laughs> I remember talking to two very close teammates that were in a car. Uh, it was right after my first experience. And they they told me, they tell me the story today. They got off the phone and looked at each other and they said, what the hell happened to Marcus? He's <laughs> And one of those individuals, one of my close friends, called me two weeks later, and you know he was down in Mexico like a month later. And then the other one uh, just went through treatment a couple months ago. But those individuals that you know are calling us crazy. When you know, you just, know. Yeah. Again, we're. I mean, yeah, maybe this is crazy, but if crazy is you kind of waking up and being a better father, husband, friend, person, then you know, who doesn't drink or, you know, who doesn't drink or doesn't drink as much or doesn't need to, you know, spend their time in a bottle or be angry or lose their mind on the road or at Starbucks. Um, they sure we're crazy as hell, but, you know, preaching is difficult. People don't want to hear preaching. So just being honest, say, Hey, I, I've tried these, these drugs that, uh, you know, Navy medicine gave us, um, didn't work for me. I tried this talk therapy. It was very difficult to open up. You know, you're doing it for seven years now. Not not you, but like if I'm talking to somebody and I just say, you know, this is what worked for me. It's not for everyone, but I would just look into it. Re do your own research. I try to tell everybody that. Do, do your own research. That's the most important because who am I? I? I don't have MD after my name. Right. Sharing your story just helps ease other people into it and they should do their own research. Right. But you sharing and our, us sharing our story just kind of helps people. Oh, there's a human aspect of that. And I know that person. So, okay. I can like, you knew the people that went before and it helped you slide into it like us, you know? Yeah. Helped us for sure. Helped us a lot. All the research in the world doesn't make you feel better really. Unless somebody like, like somebody that, you know, telling you I went and I'm still here and alive. Let me ask, yeah. is this for spouses too? Do, do you guys have couples that go through or individual spouses that go through? I love supporting couples going through. I think that each person has to be on their own individual healing journey, but approaching healing as a couple is equally as important. So we do support spouses of the veterans in our program. Our funding right now is designated to special operations veterans and any spouse of a veteran in our program is also eligible for funding. So it's difficult whenever we have spouses that don't want anything to do with this process or you know, spouses who feel, I guess, threatened or mm -hmm. confused by why they're, the veteran would want to go through. It can actually cause more problems if the spouse isn't involved at some level. And so we offer advance everything from one-on-one -on -one mentor support to group coaching support to grants for them to pursue their own healing. Amazing. And you brought up a good point, Amber. I was going to ask you earlier, when Marcus, you came home, and this is what kind of started us in doing couples when we started was here's the veteran, you know, you got to sent to Disney and you came home. You're like, man, I had a great week at Disney. And the spouse is like, I'm glad you had fun at Disney, you know? So here you come home different, better. You feel better. The spouse. I mean, how was that for you, Amber? Like, well, I'm glad you're better. I mean, was there a little bit of like, okay, I still went through this with you as well. Now, obviously you have the anticipation of what might happen. You know, you're always waiting to be proven wrong. Or different. But how was it? Was it difficult for you that when he went through alone, came home like, whoo, I'm all better now. And you're like, mm -hmm, now you're all better. I'm glad about that. You know, one of those things. Not not to that extent, maybe. But did you have those feelings a bit? I had a bit of a different experience, but similar. So I was such a huge part of getting Marcus there and convincing him to go and being by his side and arranging everything. I really thought that I wanted this. And I did. 
but I wasn't prepared. We didn't really have any support in, you know, in going into it. And so on the other side of it, I definitely had a freak out. I had a freak out across the board on everything from how does this parlay with my faith as a Christian? What does this mean for long-term? Is it okay to let my guard down? I think I am a little bit resentful or I'm, he's actually so good now. And it's highlighting some things in me that still need to be worked on. I had actually gone through my own about two, maybe a little bit longer year process at that point of really deep healing. I am not a proponent that everyone needs psychedelics. I think that there are a lot of ways to access this sort of radical awareness and surrender and you know putting down your load of burdens. I didn't use psychedelics, but I used a daily practice of surrender and dealing with my own things. And I would just sit and sometimes I would sit for 15 minutes and sometimes I would sit for four hours. I would journal. I would sometimes cry. Sometimes I felt like drawing. I would think I would deal with things as they came up, you know, from my childhood or a situation or a thought or belief that I had about myself. And I would just go to battle with it and understanding it and acknowledging it and speaking truth to it and rewiring my neural pathways to think completely different. So I had been very much on my own healing journey. And I don't think I would have been equipped to support Marcus, let alone lead him if I hadn't done that. Now that's still saying though, I I did have this sort of freak out on the other side of it. And it is very, very, very common for spouses to feel that to some extent. Some spouses you know, don't want to be part of it at all. They think it's weird or, you know, they're just so jaded that they, they don't have really want anything to do with the veteran. Other spouses think they're supportive and then the veteran's heart is ripped open and they don't know how to deal with it. Others I've seen find so much relief in, you know, having carried the weight for their family for so many years that there's such relief that it's finally safe for them to break. And then it's like, whoosh, it's yeah. it's like game on for them. Um, it's important. Family healing structure is, yeah. is so important. I think that's why the you know the spouse and the children getting involved first. The spouse for sure, um, because when the children see the the mom and dad happy, as we know, then you know, the the whole family unit becomes. And we're not advocating for you know kids, even adult kids, doing psychedelics. No, I mean, no, I'm what just saying. Yeah, I'm just talking about just bring them in to integrate with with yeah. what, you know. And being honest with them. When we were honest with our kids, they yeah. knew that they in our house and they knew that dad was really trying. And I think that the legacy Marcus is leaving for our kids is that you never stop fighting. You never stop fighting for your family. And even though they didn't understand it, maybe at the time, they now know that there's a tool available that the world doesn't really know about and that their dad utilized it to fight like hell for his family. And That's amazing. I'm sure your daughter had said, previously how much longer is this going to go on at what point did did she acknowledge dad's different i mean almost instantly really yeah of course it takes some some shifting sure understand how to like exist in this new dynamic i think we all sort of went through this ebb and flow of like it feels so good you know that things are stabilized yeah then you go like oh my gosh oh my gosh it's like it's too good to be true and and that takes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think that segues into what we should talk about is that this is not a panacea. This is something that for many, it is a one and done. But for probably just as many, there's a lot more work to be done on the backside. And everybody has to understand. I don't think prior to Michael Pollan's book coming out, in, I, I had been through treatment, I think, prior to then, the first time. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation now about the preparation before these experiences and the integrating afterwards. And I think we need to really highlight that. And I think we need to put standards of care around not just the medicine, the medicine is a tool, but the integration that happens afterwards, the constant integration. It could take someone a month. It may take someone years. I'm going on five years now. I still consider this integration because it's still, I could remember every one of my experiences and I've done several now and I'm still learning. I think it's really important that if we want true healing, we have to continue working. And I try to tell people, if you go to a gym for two months, you do CrossFit and you work out and you run, you do all these things, you get in really good shape. And then you stop, yep. you know, what's going to happen? Everybody knows that answer. Connected. So it's, 
you got to connect that thought process of guys. I, you know, I did it and now I'm stopped drinking and 30 days later, they're drunk again. I'm like, dude, you've got to continue. You can't stop. You can't stop. I'm glad you brought that up. I had some of my toughest days afterwards because this does open up things that you had compartmentalized. And so you do have some bad days, but what we were noticing is that these bad experiences that lasted for weeks all of a sudden lasted for like a couple hours. Yes. Or a yeah. day. We're like, wait a minute, how are we able to bounce back? Oh, yeah. we'll back to the experience. So we were able to like come out much quicker. And then now Amber jokes about it's like this trend line. As long as you keep trending in the right direction, that's great because you know the market does do this. We know eventually it's going to come back here and go higher. And so that's the idea of healing. Yeah, and it's so a, it's a series of ups and downs. And the downs are actually serving a purpose. And so when people get caught up in the idea of like, oh, it didn't work because you know he's having a bad day or a bad week, it's like there's actually a lot of lessons to be learned there. And this is a path that has no end. And I think that for guys like you, Tom and Marcus, and your former teammates there's like always a goal to be attained. It's like, how quickly do I check the box? And this, like, there is no true finish line. It's just a constant, yeah. you know, it's a this, constant. this gets us out of the darkness. This puts the tourniquet on and it stops the bleeding. And I think, you know, two of the biggest things that people can do afterwards, which we wouldn't even think about before is meditation and breath work. And if you don't want to do meditation because you think it's weird, do breath work. Like, you know, even that might be a little weird to some people, but those two things are literally life-saving and they are resetting our central nervous system. And they're bringing us right back to like, just to baseline and, and not being able to control ourselves to where we were before. But a lot of us wouldn't even, we wouldn't even think about doing that prior to getting better. And so this, it's what maintains me right now. And I love it. And I do it every morning and every afternoon and I get Amber doing it now. And we do all types of it. We do meditation. We do mindfulness. We do breath work. We do you know, non-sleep deep rest, which Huberman talks about, like all of it. And it all works. And now I'll do it forever because it's so it's so fulfilling now. I mean, I love it. It's weird to those who haven't done it yeah, because you know, they're afraid to do it. We hear it all the time. Always talking to people about muscle memory. You develop muscle memory. Your anger is a muscle memory. Your Your behavior is a memory that you've developed over time. And one shot, one session is not going to erase it away. You know, you got to change that behavior. And, and it, that takes a lot of work. As we start to wrap this up, who needs this? How do I know I might need this? It's interesting. A lot of people say the medicine finds you. I personally don't feel like anyone should force themselves to do this. I think that you know, we were in a situation where it felt like our last hope and our last option, but it has also been described as a nuclear option. So, you know, I'd, I'd say to anyone, the psychedelics in general are physiologically very sound. Ibogaine is the only one known to have a very distinct cardiac risk. So, you know, to, as, to determine like which one for which person, that's hard to say. But at best, we have an e-course that gives an overview of all the psychedelics that we believe in. And I think that anyone deciding to pursue this path should do a lot of research, feel called to do it. And be ready to put in like the hardest work of your life. But you're going to get the most out of it. And I, and I would say that I think everybody should explore the education around these medicines, because I think if you're trying to heal, why not learn what's out there? Like, don't just go do something because learn all of it, learn about psychedelic medicine, learn about CBCT, learn about EMDR, like learn about all the things that work and you make the decisions. I just think, and I'm sure many, many experts will tell you psychedelic medicine will get you there the fastest, but it's also like Amber said, it's going to be the hardest and it's going to be the roughest and it's not going to be easy. But, you know, in, in our world, we like to, we like to do things yesterday yeah, and, <laughs> and go ahead and punch me in the gut and, and let's go. But then again, to make it continue, you're going to have to put in all the work. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy by any means. One final thing I'd like to say, too, is that you know, we feel somewhat responsible for the melee of interest around psychedelics, especially in the veteran community. And we hear all the time that there are, you know, there are underground circles happening and self-guided journeys and all sorts of experimentation. Like, oh, I'm just going to get a bag of mushrooms and take them with no idea of how they're sourced, how to dose, 
no uh, mindfulness around set and setting. And then there ends up being a really detrimental experience, which can actually set someone back. So anyone who's who's you know doing the research and feeling called should also make sure that they are properly supported in these journeys. I'm so glad you said that. I've heard some people like, I'm just going to get some stuff and try. I'm like, oh, no, do not. I don't don't know about that yourself. I I think I'll do it myself, though. Or a couple of bros are going to get together in the woods. I was like, don't ever. No, 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 no. That that's not how how you should go about this. Now like, we're doing drugs. It's 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 one of those things where and it's hard work. Like you said, it's yep. not like oh I'm tripping and I'm seeing unicorns. I mean, like the five meo experience that we had. It was last February, and I still process it. You know, several times a week. Before it was daily, every day something was coming forward several times a day. To where several times a week now, I'll recall or remember if I'm in a tough spot, I can go back to that work. You brought up a point I wanted to touch on real quickly, and maybe I can't touch on it quickly, but we're going to try. You said, I'm a Christian. A lot of people actually challenge this as far as how does this play with my religious beliefs or my spiritual beliefs? Can you speak just to that briefly if you can? I'll do as uh, This is like a whole series. <laughs> I know. It is. <laughs> this is an episode two. entirely, but... I feel like five to six or seven weeks to go through this week by week with my therapist. And ultimately what I what I landed on is that my prayers were answered that this plant that was put on earth by God, that society would tell me is a drug saved my husband's life, my marriage and my family. I've seen it replicated a million times since maybe not a million, but hundreds of times since we did a survey uh, internally at vets and like over 90% of the respondents identified this as being a spiritually significant experience in their life. So we've seen guys and gals go in complete atheists, agnostic, maybe they were raised with strong faith, they turned away from it. And these faith connections are being restored. So I view it now as like peeking behind the curtain. You know, it's meeting God in a way that we're just not used to in our society. But I can tell you that it's happening week in and week out. And it's been one of the most amazing things to witness. And I can also tell you that from where we sit, you know, this has not always been comfortable for us. And it's not something that we ever envisioned ourselves doing. We have two, well, we have done two things. We've been radically obedient and we've been able to stand in the fire. And we have been so blessed as a couple, as a family and as an organization, and I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about just doors opening and things happening and the right person coming at the right time. It is only God. That is the only explanation for what has taken place over the last five years. And I'll I'll add to that just to say, you know, we've accepted alcohol into like a normal routine of our life for most of the world. Um, you know, you, you can drink all night, get sick, puke, have a hangover, but that's okay. I would read The uh, Immortality Key by Brian uh, Marasco, just a different perspective of of these medicines and really how they have been a part of our society for thousands and thousands of years. And I think it's just a it's a super interesting book, really good read. Uh, and I think it and just opens open what, your eyes. What it, the book really um, gets to is potentially how psychoactive substances, plants, whatnot, influenced Christianity. So wow. I don't. I don't know. I don't, I haven't read it and I don't know how I feel about that, but I do know that there's a, something is happening on a spiritual level that cannot be explained. No research study around psychedelics will ever be able to explain what is happening on a spiritual level. Those are humans trying to find the answer, right? They'll never, yeah. they'll never agree on an answer, but I, I can concur yeah. and agree with what you said. Very spiritual for both of us. Very, very spiritual. I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, right? Am I spiritual? I am now very much more so. And, you know, was I religious when my helicopter was being shot down? Sure. I got real religious. So everybody finds that when they need it. Right. But you you said it all. You know, you talked about awareness, when to go, what to expect, you know, research, families, do your yourself. research, you know, arm yourself and empower yourself in your own healing and and realize that you may not know everything on earth that's been taught. Right. So be more curious and less judgmental. And when we lean in and we're more curious about things, we learn about things versus judging it from the first first time we've heard about it. So, you know, comparison is the thief of all healing. You, you said it, Marcus, early on, you know, oh, well, mine's not like yours. And guys call, well, I didn't do what you did. And I hear it all the time. Like, stop. 
How do you feel right now? You know, and for those guys that are like, well, I'm not doing that, or I don't want to see a therapist unless they've been to combat because they won't get me. Really? Really? We went to war. Door kickers had enablers for every other thing out there that we didn't know how to do. So trust your enablers out there, guys. Trust the people that do their job and let them do their job on you while you, you know, struggle and get better. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of ways that people, I'm sure, have been inspired by this episode. And the amount of change that you guys are making is great. The impact has been great. We've heard it at our nonprofit constantly. People referring back to you guys, people who have gone through your program, people who have talked about how it has saved their life. Um, Truly, it's not just life-changing, it's life-saving. Donate, please. All of us nonprofits, we, we survive by your generosity and by your support. And so one of the things you could do today, so many people are like, how do I get involved? How do I make a difference? How can I make change? Honestly, donating, it might seem like one of those things that you're, you know, Tom and I will donate. I'm like, I hope this is making a difference. We're sitting on the other side of the fence, all four of us saying it does make a huge difference. And it is supporting our warfighters and their families to heal from tremendous amount of sacrifice and service that they provided this country. So a donation is one way that immediately you can give back to vets. If you're interested in, in looking into this yourself, Tom and I did a ton of research, probably two years before we went on our own journey. So arm yourself with information. Talk to your friends that have gone through it, spouses who have gone through it, support each other. It's the only way through. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, for, let, us, let us know. We got to have you guys come back. Part two will be on the spiritual thing because I think that could open up a lot more. But I'm glad that we were able to get folks information, hopefully opening their mind to this opportunity and just so grateful for all you guys are doing. Where can everybody find you to research and donate? Our website is betsolutions.org. Everything can be found there. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have that in the notes as well. Just really appreciate all you guys are doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to All Secure. Community matters now more than ever. So if you liked what you heard, please share, review, and subscribe. For assistance or to support our incredible warriors and their families, please visit us at allsecurefoundation.org. That's allsecurefoundation.org. Tune in next week to All Secure, and thanks again for listening. See you all then. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more content like this, or to begin your own podcasting journey, head on over to obsidian-productions.com.